You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. I'm going to put the title of that message up if we have it available. Confidence God's Way. There are different kinds. We have uh, a biblical perspective. The word literally in the Greek means bold speech. The word boldness is sometimes used. Assurity can be used. But what it means is vocal or bold speech. You speak out confidently. You speak out as a fact. That is the biblical perspective of confidence. Now, the worldly perspective is self-reliance, isn't it? If I say about you, someone, oh, they're a very confident young man, or confident young woman, or that, that man's very confident, <laughs> we think that means that they are very self-assertive individuals that are really balanced, have really good self-esteem, and they are relying on their values and their strengths. That is the world's perspective, but it is not at all the biblical perspective of confidence. So biblical confidence is not secular arrogance. And I really spent some time studying the difference between the two. Uh, arrogance comes from uh, hidden fear, and it's akin to insecurity. Like When someone is arrogant, really, you can say that their, their insecurity is matched with arrogance, but we see it as confidence. Because they're afraid of failing, they're, 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 I think of it this way, superiority, or their perspective of themselves, that's really the main quality, if you could call it that, or attribute of an arrogant person. They believe themselves to be superior. Well, already that does not quite jive with what the Bible teaches us. So we know we don't need arrogance. We don't need the world's kind of confidence. Arrogant people are single-minded. They either think that they are superior to others or inferior to them, but it's always a competition. They're always looking, like, where am I versus you? Where are you versus me? I'm better than you. And then if you are better than me, then the only recourse they have is jealousy concerning your betterness. If you're better, well then, either I try to bring you down so that I can bring myself up. So this arrogance may be really nothing more than a way to cover up their feelings of insecurity. Like when someone stands in pride and boasts of their qualities or their attributes or their education. Um, I always notice that is commonly manifesting when I mix with different groups of ministers and church leaders. It's really common. I mean, not criticizing pastors and church leaders, but in pastors' conferences, it's it can be turned into an arrogant competition of who's the best, who's the most anointed, who has the best church, who has this. And you hear them comparing notes, and, uh, and there's this term I often heard amongst pastors, how many are you running? Like they're horses or something, you know, like how many, meaning how many people are in your group. And all of that really stems back to some type of compensation for something's missing, some weakness. And that is not biblical confidence, that is a form of arrogance. And so it, it seems they feel better, arrogant people feel better when they tear others down. And we don't want to be that. On the contrary, we see confident people. Uh, they're high-minded, but there's a reason why. They're strong. They are secure. They are comfortable. A confident person who is biblically confident can be all these things, but we have to start considering the motivation for their confidence. Why are they secure? Why are they also self-assertive? 
They are different. There's a difference because they can feel good without having a desire to offend others or take them down. Uh, they're not offended when somebody else is great. In fact, they, they celebrate it. They celebrate it and, and immediately are humble enough to say, wow, maybe you can help me to also grow, to learn. Confidence is, is not that kind of an arrogant perspective. So uh, we see that there's human confidence and God confidence, and we can depend upon ourselves, which would be more like uh, self-dependence or self-reliance, which is a failing endeavor because we will always make mistakes, but we can also depend upon God. And if we depend upon God, who is a matchless and perfect ally in life, then we know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In other words, the believer can be strong and confident without arrogance. Simply by a total and utter dependence and yielding to the Spirit of God. When we come under the hand of God in humility, it will be seen as, even in the world's eyes, as confident. And people will think, but they can actually um, sometimes misunderstand a well-adjusted or mature child of God, thinking that their confidence comes from within instead of above. Because yeah. they look and think, oh, you know, a lot of people have mistook me. They believe me to be confident. They believe uh, me to, you know, be pretty uh, well-adjusted, mature. I meet people all the time, and they say, you know, just, wow, I like this about you, I like that, but really, I have to be honest and confess, at this point in my life, I, I've, I've lost all confidence in myself. I absolutely have no self-confidence left. And now you would think, well, that's not good, you need to, no, I don't, but hear me out in light of what I'm saying. Uh, I have progressively found myself to be insufficient, right? That there's always going to be, as long as I'm looking at myself and measuring myself, trying to be or reach some standard of ability or skill or whatever the case, I'm going to try my best, but to be dependent or self-reliant, confident on in myself, it is a recipe for disaster. And it will bring me down, because whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. Whether life humbles them or the Lord himself humbles them, we need to make sure that we're careful. Therefore, I have increasingly turned to God for help. I just The, the older I get in Christ, the more time I spend on my knees, the more time I, I beg God for assistance. And therein lies my source of subsequent confidence. If I'm confident, you think I'm confident, I'm telling you why right now. Well, but you're skilled and you can do this and you, you, know, you speak well or you play instruments well, whatever the case. I like the way you pray. You pray with confidence. Well, now you know why. Not because I have figured out the art of prayer and I am a prayer master. And Jesus mocked that. He said, those people pray to be seen. Those are hypocrites. They're not really living the patterns that I want them to live. So all this saying that, you know, I, I cannot be confident in myself. I can't allow myself to become confident in myself. And that would be arrogance. Because I would continually have to mask my weaknesses. But if I can be strong by my weaknesses, if I can divulge to you the secrets of my weaknesses and my inabilities... Now, if you are looking for a confident, secular fashion of a leader, well, then, then you're looking in the wrong place. If you're looking for someone that is completely, utterly, desperately dependent upon the Lord and the Lord only, well, then I would be an okay leader for you. Because I can lead you into that. That I know. But as far as the successful group out there, uh, not many wise, not many noble, he's called. 
not the greatest. He's called the least, and I'm proud to be the least. I'm so glad because in my weakness, he becomes strong. But in my arrogance or my false confidence, he backs away because pride prohibits him from using me. So we walk in this confidence, the God kind of confidence. And really, arrogant and confident people treat people differently. You can tell if you're operating in arrogance versus operating in true godly confidence uh, because an arrogant person thinks that they're better than the others while a confident person knows <laughs> that they are just as good as others, but they make no judgment. Maybe you could be. Certainly, if God's Spirit is on you, you can go far beyond what I can do because it really has everything to do with the anointing that breaks the yoke. It has everything to do... I've met people far less naturally capable than me that are far more anointed. And I've met people far more capable than me in the natural that um, are less anointed. So really, ultimately, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Yes. And you can tell that confident people will rarely be found lecturing or preaching to others on how they're wrong. Uh, they're not looking to bring correction to people. They're looking to help people. Where well, arrogant people seem to be critical and want to point out where you're weak or point out how, what so that they will look better and that they will feel superior. Arrogant people have difficulty listening to others. Uh, they, they, they often exude negative energy and blame others if things do not work out as expected. In other words, they never take accountability or responsible for the failures that surround them. And they find themselves, if you live in arrogance versus God confidence, you find yourself always surrounded with failure because pride comes before the fall. Arrogance is just another form of pride. Things don't work out, and it's never your fault. But this is one thing you'll notice in every level, in every place, in every space you go where there are consistent failures in a long lineage of failures, there's one consistent common denominator through it all, you. And so how about taking responsibility and saying if things don't work, it's my, I would rather, see, Christians like to blame the devil. The devil made me do it. The demons are, once again, be careful because you can be operating in a spirit of arrogance. Uh, we learned that, that arrogance, the spirit of arrogance, is one of the enemies of peace. We just talked about that. So we want to be sure to put our confidence in the Lord. You know, the eyes of the arrogant versus the eyes of the confident. You can look in people's eyes. You know, the eyes are the windows of the soul. Eye contact is important. It's a part of communication. You look at someone, you speak to them. Confident people will make eye contact with you and they really they make you feel like you're the greatest person in the world. When they're talking to you, they're looking at you, they're involved in you, and they care about you. They want to be a part of your world. Arrogant people have a tendency to always be looking past you. Why? Because they're looking for a more advantageous conversation. Because their concerns are not to meet your needs, their concerns are meet their own needs, yes. provide for themselves. Yes. They don't take the time. You can watch it and see it in the eyes. It's difficult to catch the running eyes of an arrogant person. Because <laughs> they're always looking around, always going on. Now I'm not talking about if they are distracted. In general, you can be distracted. I can try to talk to you and you know, little kids are running around or making noise or they're knocking over the camera or something. And I'm not going to lock eyes and just stay. No matter what happens, going to stare at you, but all things being equal, you know what I mean. So, keep that in mind. With all this in mind, now we're going to go to the Word of God to look at the biblical perspective of confidence, not toward man or ourselves, but toward God. We're going to see seven things about God confidence. 
Now we've already defined, before we go into this, we've already defined the word confidence in the Bible. It's translated different ways. It just so happens that the NIV always translates it with confidence. So it was easier for me to track it out and give it to you in this message. But I did verify in the Greek that it's the same. In the word, it means bold speech. Uh, it's a composite of two words. So if you speak with security, that means you are confident. Uh, if you came in and you were soaking wet, and I asked you if it rains, is it raining outside? You can come. Yeah, it's raining. See, that's bold speech. Because you're confident. You know it's raining because you were just in the rain and you're soaking wet. So that's, that's knowledge. Now you meet people who try to use information from an arrogant perspective and they don't have that confidence. They can't do it. It, it will show, it's a tell when everything becomes a question. You often hear me talk about that. Where, you know, they, they, they say things that are supposed to be a statement, but it sounds like a, a question. You know, it's very important that we really pay attention to the politics. They don't know much about what's going on, but they maybe learn, and you can tell the new people, they're still operating, not so much in experiential confidence, but in the other. But anyway, all that, we say, to see these seven things about God confidence. These, by the way, there's, there's a few places where it talks about confidence in men in the Bible. I've excluded those. Uh, it says you can be confident in men. The ones mentioned are church leaders that have a track record of service to the church of God. Uh, you can be confident in the Lord is the ones we're looking at. Our God confidence. And the first one, number one, confidence is faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So how can you be, how can you boldly speak or be confident about something that you cannot see? Because of faith. So if it says faith is confidence, reverse it, you can also say confidence is faith. For us as believers it is. Our confidence comes from faith but not necessarily from sight, because we walk by faith, not by sight. We believe in God as the source of all things we need to succeed, and that trust makes us confident. We know God's going to take care. He shall supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory. He's going to take care of everything. And when you speak it out, of course, faith has to be spoken so all these things that you're confident about, you speak them out because remember, confidence is, is bold speech, not bold thoughts, not bold desires, but actual words. Because God created all things with His words. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Do you think God lacked any confidence when He spoke those words? He spoke it boldly. Light, and boom, there's light. He just spoke it, and it was. Whatever he spoke, it was. Well, he created us in his image and his likeness. And dependent upon him and his spirit, that same energy and power from eternity can flow through us that when we speak boldly about the things we know to be true by faith, it will cause power to be released. And it will be our kind of confidence, Christian confidence, the, the confidence of the children of God. Salvation came from that. Uh, by grace we're saved, that by faith, not of ourselves. You have the faith to believe because the Father revealed it to you, not flesh and blood, but the Father revealed Jesus to you, and it caused you to be able to speak boldly and say to Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Not be the Lord of my life, but be the Lord of my life. And when you spoke those words, confession about Him, 
That faith is what caused you to get saved. You're saved by that faith. By the word you preach. By the word you speak. And that is the kind of confidence that we have. So don't confuse this with arrogant perspective of self-confidence. Uh, that kind of thing is mocked by Jesus throughout the Bible. Every time he found people who were very self-reliant, he, he found it to be ridiculous. And he told stories about it. He told parables. He said, and he said, he told these stories about those who were confident in themselves. And he talked about them in religious environments and how they would pray. He, he demonstrated the difference in prayer, whether someone was operating in the faith of God or in the arrogance of man. But confidence is faith, and it is, if you understand, from a humble perspective. Therefore, the difference is a dependency upon God rather than on our own strengths and values. Amen? So now faith is confidence, so confidence is faith. You can be confident if you have faith. So exercise your faith. Faith without works is dead, so do something while you say it. Say these things. And people say, oh, oh wow, that, and you are doing this. No, it's not just a dream. It was just a dream. That's not really faith. Faith begins with that idea, but it's only when you begin to speak it that it comes into reality. Number two, confidence is reliance on God's help. Now, this is the thing about the Lord. There are a lot of people who do not like to be helpless. Nobody wants to be helpless. But in all honesty, you do not meet God until you are helpless. Like he told me years ago, um, where can I be found? And he told me, I asked where, he said, the first thing he told me is at the end of your rope. Because at the end of your rope, when there's not even a rope left, there's just one of the strings of the rope. Have you ever been there? Uh, one time I was on a very high swing when we were kids. We had a swing that what, the top of the swing was attached to a very, very tall tree at about five stories high. And we would climb up into another tree, at least that distance away, and then some buffoon on the ground would swing that rope with it, it had a log to it, and it had a tether so they could get enough whip in it to make it fling up, and we would catch it, and then pull it, because uh, it would be out here, we'd pull, it, pull the trees together. And these are the idiotic things that people do. We'd pull the trees together, holding onto the tree, and then we would mount the log put it with the rope, and there was that moment where you had to jump five stories high. And I can't believe, looking back on it, because I'm a very careful, I can't believe I actually did it. <laughs> and, and there's this moment where you, where you uh, jump out, and when you do, it's, it's committal, because the tree, because of you brought them together with tension, that tree disappears. As soon as you let go of the tree, it goes, shh. And you are, for this moment, you're in a free fall floating straight out from that other tree and you just, you just drop. And you don't even feel the rope pulling on you because it's just kind of loose for like three stories of falling. And then the rope catches you and gently pulls you on that arc, swinging. And you got to pick your feet up because if not, you will tear your feet up because it comes in, that rope will come scrape the ground and shoot you back up on the other end. Some of the more daring people would jump out on the other end and grab another tree. Like, like some type of monkey or a magneton or something. I wouldn't do that. But it really taught me about my reliance on that rope, my reliance to do that. And I see that uh, 
So we say with confidence, it says in Hebrews 13, 6, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. We can, uh, what can mere mortals do to me? Because there's things in this life, things that we may fear, but we know that God will be there first. The scripture we're going to see after this later talks about the fact that we find help in our time of need. There's another verse that says that He is our ever-present help in time of need. In time of need. But this is the thing, you won't find it until there's a need. And that's where a lot of people have never really met God. They know about God. They know theoretically who He is. They can even recite doctrines to you about exactly who He is, what He is, and how He does this, that, and the other. But until you have your back against the wall, until you're at the end of your room, so everything has failed and you have no other recourse, uh, you've, you have not yet met him. It's when Esau is coming after you and you think he's going to kill you that you finally have your pen well. It's when you've, you've spent your whole life, as I studied last night, just, just living with Jacob through the night. He did so many lousy things to so many people. I mean, he just, he was kind of, and I know the Lord speaks kindly about him, by the way, in the scriptures. And the way he speaks about what he did versus the narrative are two different things. So I don't know who to believe, the Bible or Jacob. Because they, they are telling different stories. Really fascinating when you look at it in an overview. Because he's, you know, he said that in the dream he saw that this speckled sheep, that the other. It was not. He carved some sticks and using animal husbandry and the skills he learned, he manipulated the flocks to get what he wanted. Uh, just like his mother manipulated with him his father Isaac to get the blessing that really did belong to Esau. Just like he manipulated Esau to begin with with a bowl of pottage, nice lentils, lentil soup. He was often, and I understand because I lived in India and dal is so good. And that's basically what he what he bribed him with. And I have tasted some amazing like dal handi uh, with some fresh naan. And you dip in, I, I don't know, birthright seems less valuable at that moment. <laughs> so I feel sorry for Esau. But Jacob did that. Jacob did this. He had this track record of wronging people. And his, his wives learned from him and stole his father-in-law's idols. And I'm just going down the line. It's like, I just realized, why is God using this loser? This his whole life is a bunch of crooked things that maybe you could... And then I realized, wow, I feel a lot better about my life. That the things I've done wrong in life, God has not disqualified me or thrown me out. He's kept me and He's loved me. Why? Because I know that ultimately, I, when I come to a place, He's the only one that can help me. And, and really, He did not become Israel until that moment in His life. And in that moment, he wrestled with God. In that moment, his, his hip was taken out of joint, and he was scarred forever. Because if the ordeal you go through it isn't enough to cripple you, it cannot change you. Yes. Yes. You hear what I said? Yes. If what you go through is not enough to cripple you to where you limp forever afterward, then you will not have your name changed. Yes. And you will be Jacob for the rest of your life. But Jacob became Israel. And God met him at the end of his road. He met him in the worst part of his life. And that's where real transformation came. You know what's beautiful? Right after Penuel, immediately he takes his sons and he says, all right, come here. Get, take your earrings off. Get rid of the idols. They, they got holy. He, brought, he transmitted. I did a message years ago about transmitting revival. He came into revival and immediately turned to his sons. He made them repent and a movement started. 
and because they were they were crooked too, they you know Judas sleeping with his own daughter-in-law, mistaking you know all these they were they were not the highest quality people, and but God was able to make something wonderful out of them as long as they depended on Him, and that's us in this day. Our confidence as the children of God makes us know that God is our ever-present help in time of need. Uh, number three, confidence is the road to God's presence. It's interesting. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing it. Um, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, confidence... Uh, Confidence is the road that we will travel into the presence of God. You boldly speak it. Uh, just by reading this scripture out loud in front of you and putting it on the wall, it manifests power, real power of the presence of God. Because I am confidenting it, if you would. It's bold speech. And it's the same why it's so important that we not just read the Bible and meditate on it, but that we recite it and we hear it and then speak it and repeat it. You know, one of the greatest years of my entire life was the year that I recorded the entire Bible to be able to put those excerpts on my Facebook. Why? Because I was reading out loud every single day all those scriptures and now I just listen to myself. <laughs> Which is nice, too. I have an okay voice, so I don't mind. And I can also enjoy coffee simultaneously while I'm here and meditate. But honestly, I don't know if you do this. I, I pause a lot. Because while I'm listening, I'm like, oh, 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 pause. I got to wait, wait. And I have to go after a, a rabbit. You know, attend. Some things caught my attention in a mess. God's trying to say something. So I recommend you do that too. Even better, I recommend that you not listen to me. You take the scripture itself and you read out loud to yourself. There's so much power that comes out. It is your confidence. And it is, it is the road to God's presence. When you speak His word. I know we think about the words that Jesus spoke concerning prayer, but when I pray, I actually read them out loud. I have them in a PowerPoint, I always say that. But I wrote down everything he said. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, because they think... To, I mean, I actually read it out loud to myself, and it's never failed after many years. When I do... If I read it and not say it out loud, I don't feel it. I'm not trying to create a formula for it. I'm just proving this point about vocally speaking... When I read it out loud to myself, when I read the words, then your Father who is unseen will see what happens in secret and He will reward you. When I say the words, I feel the reward coming over me. I feel a release of the anointing because confidence. Because when I say it boldly, I believe it. And I speak it out. Otherwise, I would just be a lunatic for going around saying things I don't believe. But it is an exercising of confidence in His Word when you read it out loud. Jesus, that's all He did, was walk around quoting Scripture all the time, very confidently, very boldly. That's number three. Uh, number four, confidence is the key to heaven's door. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place 
by the blood of Jesus. Now that caught my attention. We can enter the most holy place by the... This is the blood part that got me on that other tangent last night. I spent two hours in the blood, five hours with Jacob. I mean, my night was gone. You're looking at a man that has not slept properly. But it's okay because God was there speaking to me. And in this scripture, I really started to think we have confidence to enter. Uh, think of you have it. That means it's something you hold, something tangible to you. Your confidence, that is your bold speaking, is the key that opens the door to heaven. It is the entrance into the Holy of Holies. You can sit and meditate on the Holy of Holies all you want. You can sit there and think about it. You can visualize it. You can imagine it. But for me, it doesn't work that way. I have to say, and in, in fact, it's I say it so specifically that I have diagrams of the tabernacle of Moses, the tent of meeting, with cross-sections and cutouts in pictures in my PowerPoint that I look at every day. And I make the trek from the outer court. I go through the courts and I have a picture and I put my finger on the screen. I say, I walk right past this brazen laven. I go past this altar because this does not apply to me any longer. Jesus already took care of this. I go straight through this curtain. I walk past this table of shoe bread. I walk between the shoe bread and the candlesticks and there's an incense altar there that has a wonderful fragrance coming up out of it. And I walk right over. I always imagine myself stepping over that, that incense altar into the Holy of Holies where the veil is open. And I have a picture of the veil ripped and me putting my finger on it and saying it. You understand? And when I do, heaven opens. How does it happen when we're here together as a group? I say it. When I say it, it happens. Because the key is the confidence or the bold speaking about it. Saying, I enter into the Holy of Holies. And when you say it, boom, you're like inside. Versus just thinking about it or maybe hearing somebody else. It is important that you say it because it's the key that will open that door. And our confidence leads us on that path of faith to the throne room of God. I mean, how many of you in the worship got into the throne room of God? I went, I went in with so much force, I popped out the other side and had to come back. Uh, man, that was a really, was some intense worship. I wasn't expecting it because the last few worship sessions were kind of okay. You know, I was kind of feeling like I might be losing my edge. But tonight it was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So we, we got into that. that da -da -da. Confidence is the road to God's place. We're going to go in. Number four. Confidence is the key to heaven's door. Number five. <laughs> My screen is blurry. Number five. Number five. Confidence must be retained. <laughs> Hebrews 10.35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your bold speaking. Don't throw away your recitation of the truths of God. Speaking the word of God in its truth. Because if you don't, it will be not just rewarded, but richly rewarded. Not with earth's riches, but the riches of heaven. According to His riches. I don't want something according to your riches. 
You may be the richest person in the world. You may be a billionaire. And I really, I, your riches will come and go. But if his riches are given to me, the reward that comes from him, then my confidence will cause that to happen. So I have to retain it. Our confidence must be kept. And it's hard, it's hard to keep it sometimes. It becomes easy to lack that confidence. Now, remember what this Greek word means. It becomes easy to not say it out loud anymore. Because life puts weights on you, it smothers you, it buries you, and your prayer becomes a mumble. And it seems like the lower you speak, the less effective. And I know there are many people that could be watching and say, oh, that's not true, brother. You could meditate on his promises. Yeah, okay, you go preach where you preach. I'm preaching. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. Speak it. For me, it works. And for me to not throw away my confidence, it means I can't not do it. And sometimes life says, just shut up, Stephen. You're tired of hearing, you're moaning, you're always going on and on about this, about the, just to stop talking about these things. And sometimes life will convince me and start muffling me down and I will begin not saying things and my prayer gets weaker. And then something just, I come to myself in the midst of all that. And I realize, what if I just say this? What if I own these words? Speak them like heaven's words that, that, that deserve the dignity to be spoken with power. And I do it as kind of an exercise. And every time I do, there is a, a, there's a dynamic response. There's an explosion that takes place. Power is released. There's power in his word. Speak it. Let the life of it come out of you. Our confidence has to be held on to. We have to retain it. We have to keep it. It can be easy to discard it because of the discouragement of this life. If we lose sight of the truth of God's promises, the reward will come if we stay focused on His truth. If we constantly are seeking His truth, constantly speaking it, confidence must be retained. Now, you retain it, but you also have to maintain it. Confidence must be maintained. Hebrews 3.6 But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are His house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. The reason we glory, we receive the light of God when we have our expectations or our hope in Him in the future that He has for us, and this comes from our bold speaking or our confidence. If indeed we hold firmly to that proclamation, to that confidence, that I say, I believe that Christ is faithful over me. I am His house. And that confidence, I have to constantly nurture, nurture it. I have to feed it. Our confidence is to be nurtured and fed. Imagine it's like a living creature. And if you don't feed it, if it's not spoken, then it begins to become weaker and weaker and weaker and eventually can die. But anything alive to survive, it must be nourished and maintained. You have to take care of it. So use it. Use it. Don't, don't let your confidence atrophy. You know, certain, if you don't use certain muscles, they'll just stop working. If you can, it's possible to totally lose certain muscular activity if it goes too far. 
And this happens. That's why there's physical therapy. That's why when people get older and slower, they, there's a lot of just keep going because if you do, I was just talking to someone today and he, he, uh, we have a meeting, we meet every week and we talk to each other, a dear brother of mine, I love him very much. And he, he was doing this little motion like this and he said, yeah, I just come from the gym. And he says, you know, I, I feel like if I don't keep this body working, that I'm going to lose it. And I said, that's a really good thought. Uh, you don't have to live in the gym, but you do. You need to use. It's just like this with confidence. It's like this in the things of God. Our hope, all the things that we have in the Lord, if we keep them active, we will be strong in them. So we exercise our confidence. We, we have to maintain that confidence. Keep it active at all times. Think of it as a living being. Think of it, think of it as you, as a living person. You have to function. You have to move. Amen? Confidence must be maintained. Number seven, confidence is trust in God. Very simple. But what is your confidence? It's because you trust in God. Salvation depends upon it. But here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that's me and you, so that you, me and you, may know that you have eternal life. Now, we, we know we have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask Anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Now, don't skip the clause of His will. And that's where a lot of people will always His will. He, we have to be confident and trust in God. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.